Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, well, you, can, you may be seated at this point. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 21 in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter number 21. Appreciate the opportunity to be able to be with you tonight. And uh, I love your preacher. He's a great man of God, a man that I look up to, and uh, a friend in the ministry. And Brother Montoro is a faithful man, and I appreciate his faithfulness. And uh, he preaches a message that isn't popular in this day and age, and yet he is faithful to stay by that book. Amen? And that's why he's such a good friend. Well, First Kings chapter 21, when you find it uh, in your Bibles, uh, you can remain seated, actually. First uh, Kings chapter 21. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came unto his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad, and thou eatest no bread? And he said to her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said unto him, Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry, and I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in all the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. And then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. The men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto him, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and set before them, before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezreel, I'm sorry, then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. 
And it came to pass, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab arose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray tonight that you would be honored and glorified in all that is preached. Lord, I need your help as I preach tonight. I can't do it in my flesh. It, wouldn't, it would just be an exercise in vanity. But Lord, I pray and beg you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to fill me tonight, to use your word to speak to the hearts of these thy people. And Lord, I pray that if there's any here that are not saved tonight, that they would be saved before it's eternally too late. And then, Father, for each one that is here tonight that knows Christ as Savior, we pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding through your Holy Spirit. And, Father, would you bless the message, do a work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To most of us, when we hear the name Ahab, we immediately get a very negative reaction, and that's for a very good reason. And that's because if you've studied the Bible in any depth at all, then you know well that Ahab was the most wicked, the most evil, the most vile king to ever sit on the throne of Israel. And if you don't know the name Ahab, you almost certainly would recognize the name Jezebel, his wicked wife, because her name has become proverbial for wickedness. But our focus this evening is not primarily going to be on Ahab or Jezebel, but especially it will be on Naboth. Naboth was a godly man, and I want us to see what God has for us here tonight. But I want to say this, Naboth was a man that had a reason for living. He had a wife. He also had children. The Bible names his children in 2 Kings chapter 9. Possibly he had grandchildren as well. And being a man, he was not a whole lot different than you and I. He had joy in his life. He had happiness in his life. I know that I love my wife dearly. She's a continual source of joy in my life, and my children are as well. And, uh, and as far as we can tell, he had, he had a good life. He was a very godly man. He, he had the blessings of God uh, evident in his vineyard and how fruitful it was and so forth. Uh, and he was a very godly man, according to the Scriptures. Well, I have no doubt that he derived joy from his family uh, and that he derived joy from his vineyard and that he was, being a godly man, blessed by God. Uh, and I want us to note three things about this passage this evening. All three things are going to reveal the character of the three main characters. We're going to see something of the character of Ahab, something of the character of Jezebel, and then something of the, of the character of Naboth that I want us to emulate in our own lives tonight, if God will help us. Well, first of all, we see tonight covetousness. Covetousness on the part of Ahab. Uh, in verse 1, we read that Ahab had a palace in Jezreel. Now, Jezreel uh, is known, even to this day, as a very beautiful place. It's about ten miles northeast of Jerusalem, uh, located in Samaria, the most beautiful part of Samaria. Uh, and there are beautiful mountains there. There is much greenery uh, and so forth to behold. And those who go there, even to this day, uh, they've come back and, and, and some have told me what a beautiful place that it is. Uh, well, Ahab and Jezebel had a summer palace in Jezreel. They ruled uh, from, uh, from uh, the capital city in Samaria, uh, but, but uh, this, they had another palace in Jezreel. This would have been like a summer palace. It would have been a place, to, sort of a getaway, a resort for them uh, to come. When the pressures of ruling uh, uh, the nation of Israel got to be too much, uh, they would come to Jezreel and relax and unwind a little, uh, just like uh, the President of the United States. Sometimes he'll leave Capitol Hill and he'll go to Camp David or some other resort place uh, just to get a week away from it. Uh, in any case, Ahab and Jezebel had this summer resort in the city of Jezreel, 
And immediately adjacent to the wall of the palace of the king uh, was a vineyard owned by a man whose name was Naboth. Well, evidently, this was a very beautiful vineyard. It was a very well-kept vineyard. And in chapter 20 of 1 Kings, a prophet comes to Ahab and he tells him that his days are numbered because of his wickedness, because he refuses to follow the Lord, because of his great wickedness. Uh, God says, Ahab, your days are going to be shortened and your days are numbered. And Ahab must have bought into the philosophy of the uh, humanistic psychologist because modern day psychology, psychology would say, will tell you this, it would say, if things aren't going your way, go and do something for yourself. And so in chapter 20, uh, a prophet of God comes and tells Ahab, God is not pleased, God is going to shorten your life, and Ahab is feeling down about this, and so he decides to go and do something for himself. And he decides that what he's going to do is that he wants Naboth's vineyard. He admired it, it was a beautiful place, no doubt, uh, and he decides he wants to take that vineyard and he wants to make it into an herb garden. Now, I don't know if Ahab was into New Age thought and diet or not, uh, but in any case, he wanted an herb garden. And so Ahab goes down to talk to Nahab, uh, Naboth rather, and, and to figure out how he could get the vineyard. Look with me at verse 2. It says, And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Ahab was convinced that every man has his price. But he came to Naboth and he found out that Naboth was not for sale. And his vineyard was not for sale. And in verse 3, Naboth says to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. You see, Nahab refused to sell to the king. The king said, How much money do you want? I'm imagining the conversation here. And Naboth says, It's not for sale. And the king says, well, have out half a million dollars. And Naboth says, you don't understand, it's not for sale. And the king says, what about a million dollars? And Naboth says, I'm not, I'm not getting through, it's not for sale. And so Ahab goes home, and he's all poochy-lipped, and he turns against the wall of his bedroom, and he wouldn't even eat his supper. Look at verse 4. And Ahab came into his house, heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Poor little Ahab. Sticking his lip out, having a pouty fit. Sounds like what sounds like my two-year-old used to do. And as he sits there, he just couldn't get over this. He's thinking about it, and he's thinking about it. He, after all, he's the king. After all, he's not used to being told no. And as he thought about it and thought about it until it made him sick, and the Bible, by the way, calls that coveting, and God says it's a sin. God says, Thou shalt not covet. And not only is it a sin in itself to desire that which belongs to another, but it also covetousness will lead you into other sins as well. Ahab started by breaking the Tenth Commandment, but by the end of the story, he and his wife break at least four others. That's what James said. In James 1 and verse 15, he said, Lust bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Covetousness always leads to something worse. Well, Jesse gets involved now because Ahab can't stop thinking about Naboth's vineyard. And so, uh, first we see covetousness on the part of Ahab, but secondly tonight, we see conspiracy on the part of Jezebel. 
conspiracy. Jezebel says, what's the matter, Ahab? And Ahab tells her the story. He says, he says, Naboth, he won't sell me his vineyard. And she says, oh, poor little Ahab. Aren't you the big man around here? Aren't you the king? You ought to get what you want. And she begins to connive and she begins to concoct a way to get Naboth's vineyard away from him and to give it to Ahab. And in verse, uh, verses 8 through 10, she takes, she writes letters in the king's name and she seals it with the king's ring and she sends it to the nobles and the leaders of the city of Jezreel and she tells, she, she tells them, get some sons of Belial. A son of Belial is a worthless man. A man with no character. A man that has no problem lying for his own personal gain. And so she says, get you some sons of Belial and we're going to proclaim a fast in the city. A fast. And we're going to tell these sons of Belial to come forth and say, what happened is Naboth blasphemed the name of God and he blasphemed the king. And the Bible says in the name of two or three witnesses, everything will be established. And so we'll have these two witnesses and they will say they heard Naboth blaspheme God. And after that, we will try him. He will be found guilty. We will stone him to death and he will die. So a fast is proclaimed. By the way, when a fast is proclaimed in a city in those days, it usually meant that something was dreadfully wrong in that city. It usually meant that judgment would soon be coming to that city if things were not gotten right. Usually when a city proclaimed a fast, it was because there was this awareness that something was morally wrong, that something was very wrong, and that and, and the people would be seeking and beseeching God uh, to forgive their sin and to get the sin out. And so uh, Jezebel has this idea, we'll proclaim a fast. Now I want to point out the irony in all of this because Jezebel is the one who proclaims the fast in the city as if to say something is very wrong in the city. Something is very wrong in the city, but it's Jahab and Jezebel that are wrong. Amen. Well, Jezebel didn't care about right or wrong. She didn't care if she had to use deception or lying or even murder to get what she wanted. She knew how to get what she wanted and she got it. So they proclaim this fast. The sons of Belial come forward and they say, we know what's wrong in our city. The fast can be can be over now. We know what this great sin in our city is. We heard Naboth blaspheme the name of God and the name of the king. And the other witness said, yes, I was there and I saw it as well. And they lied. And the Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse 12, the wicked plotteth against the just. And Nahab is found guilty in this kangaroo court. And he is taken out of the city and he is stoned and he dies. And now, proud of her cunning, she presents the vineyard to Ahab. In verse number 15, And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. You say, Brother Pullman, it sure looks like she got away with her sin. I know we're not supposed to connive and concoct and, and try, to, uh, try to get things our own way without getting it from the Lord, but it sure looks like she got away with her sin. She didn't. Keep reading the book of First uh, Kings. You'll see that for, for this very offense, Jezebel and her husband Ahab will both die for this very offense. You see, sin never pays. And when no one else can see your sin, mark it down, God can. 
And God says in Numbers 32 and verse 23, He says, Be sure your sin will find you out. The pleasures of sin are just for a short while. But eternity, dear friend, is forever. Well, we've talked about covetousness on the part of Ahab. We've talked about conspiracy on the part of Jezebel. But now we get to what I really want to talk about tonight. There was, thirdly, conviction on the part of Naboth. Conviction. As we already stated, Naboth was a man that had a lot to live for. He had a wife. He had a family. He had a beautiful place to live. Uh, he, it's very possible that, what, that they were there, his family, watching him as the stones pounded against his face and pounded against his body and as he dropped to the ground and was dying. And as you read about this scene, you may stop and ask yourself, was it really worth it? I mean, the king comes along and he wants to buy a vineyard. And Naboth says, King, it's not for sale. Uh, Naboth, that's the king you're talking to. He usually gets what he wants. If I were you, I'd just sell it to him. And Naboth says it's not for sale. Naboth, did you hear what I said? I said it's the king. And Naboth said, I don't care if it's the king or ten more like him, ten kings. He said it's not for sale. Well, just wait till the price of land goes up, Naboth. You'll sell. Naboth would have said, you can come back in five, ten, fifteen years from now, and I'll still say it's not for sale. Well, Naboth, just wait till hard times come. When hard times come and you really need the cash, you'll sell. No, Naboth simply said, it's not for sale. So Jezebel orchestrates his death. And as Naboth is being stoned, and the stones are pounding him, and his poor family stands there helplessly and watches him, and as Naboth is being stoned, I almost just want to say, Naboth, it's not worth it. Naboth, it's just a vineyard. Sell him the vineyard. It's not worth it to die for a vineyard. But then I realized something. Naboth didn't die for a vineyard. Naboth died for a conviction. He died for a conviction that he held. Naboth was a man of deep conviction. Now, the dictionary definition of the word conviction is this. The state of being convinced of error or being compelled to admit the truth. Again, that definition. The state of being convinced of error or being compelled to admit the truth. Conviction. It is an inward persuasion, a state of being absolutely convinced. Naboth did not float through what life saying whatever. Did you ever hear teenagers say that? That's real popular today. I saw a bumper sticker on a car the other day. It just said all capital letters. It had one word on the bumper sticker. It just said whatever. And that's the attitude of a lot of people today. Whatever happens, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens, it, it, what they're really saying is, I have no convictions at all about anything. It doesn't matter. Whatever, it's all okay. But it's not all okay. Naboth would not sell the land under any circumstances because he was a man of conviction. We, we live in a society today where people have a lack of convictions. 
But Naboth was a man of conviction. Now let's take a look at what the basis was for Naboth's conviction. Look down at verse number 3. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. You see, Naboth would not sell his land for one reason. Simply this, God told him not to. God told him not to. You say, preacher, when did he do that? Well, in Leviticus chapter 25 and also in Numbers chapter 36. And we won't turn there for time, but you're welcome to look that up on your own. You see, Naboth's family received uh, this parcel of land way back when Joshua led the nation of Israel into the promised land. And it had been in his family ever since. And God says in those chapters, Leviticus 25 and Numbers 36... God says that the family who inherited the land was not to sell that land. They were not to give it to another individual, but that that land was to remain in the family. You see, Naboth read it in the Bible. And that was the basis for his convictions. Dear friend, if ever there was a time where there was a need for a generation, where the issues of life were already settled in the heart, If ever there was a time where we need men and women of conviction, that time in America is right now. It's right now. We need to have our thoughts and our attitudes governed by the person of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit that indwells in us and by this book, the Word of God. We need to be a people firmly convinced of the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thy Word is truth. Now, Naboth, he didn't say to the king, King Ahab, I can't sell you the vineyard because you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican. He didn't say that. Now, you and I might identify a a little more with, uh, identify uh, King Ahab, what he believed, a little more with what the Democrats believed, and maybe what we believe, a little more with the Republicans believe, I don't know. But the basis of that conviction was not politics. The basis for his conviction is what God said. We had better have the same basis for making decisions in our life. If we don't base our decisions on the Bible, friend, we're going to make wrong decisions in life. And the Word of God must be the basis for all of our decisions. Somebody might say, well, preacher, uh, should should this church really be given that much to missions? I mean, I I know what this church gives to missions. I see the missions emphasis. I see the flags on the back wall. I see the map. I know this is a missions-minded church. And no doubt some people come along every once in a while and they say, is it really right that we should give so much to missions? I mean, it's a continual drain on the finances of this church. And I just want to say, tune in, please. Because this isn't a business. It's not about increasing the stockpiles and the coffers. It's not about getting rich. But, but this church takes in money in order to do ministry, in order to send it out again, in order, to, in order to be governed by God's Word to do what God told us to do. And God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what this church is about. And the church runs a van on Sunday mornings and people say, well, you know, the people we pick up, uh, I'm not sure it really pays for itself. It's not supposed to pay for itself. Uh, All the literature that we print, that costs money and this and that and and the children's ministries and all of that. And people sometimes complain, uh, even even where where I'm in Long Island, people say, you know, those things cost us a lot of money. And I have to remind them, we're not a business, we're a church. And if we're not doing what a church ought to be doing, then something is very wrong. 
And you'll find churches out there today, so-called churches, I use the term loosely, uh, that are doing anything and everything in the name of Jesus Christ, and yet very few are basing what they do on this book, the Word of God. Why is the world in such a mess today? Why is that so many Christians' lives are just as messed up as the world's? It's because people are making decisions without using the Word of God as the basis for their convictions. We need to have biblically-based convictions. We need to have convictions about financial matters. I'm sick of hearing stories about one brother lends money to another brother and the second brother doesn't pay it back and, and this, that, and the other thing. We're not supposed to be like the world, amen. We need to have the highest integrity as Christians in in financial matters. We need to operate our lives in a way consistent with biblical principles. We ought to have a good testimony when it comes to tithing. We ought to have a good testimony when it comes to paying our bills. We ought to have a good testimony when it comes to paying our debts. That's the Christian way. We need to have convictions in the area of personal holiness. Don't sell the inheritance of your fathers for a few moments of pleasure. We need to have some conviction that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and that God wants to use it in a way that glorifies Him. He doesn't want us to give it away to the first person of the opposite gender that comes along. He doesn't want us to take our body and stuff it full of illegal drugs and alcohol and everything that's going to make it it, it not live as long. I'm just saying we need to be a people that that have convictions about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. We ought to have convictions about our work ethic. You know, the members of this church ought to be, you ought to be the best worker on your job. You ought to be there, the one who's always there on time, the one who's always willing to stay late, the one who's always willing to work the hardest, the one who's the most reliable, the one who's the most loyal. And the Bible says, doing our labor heartily as unto the Lord. We need to develop some convictions about that. We need to have some convictions about biblical separation. We shouldn't be looking and acting and dressing like the rest of the world. We shouldn't be having our entertainment the same way the rest of the world does. Uh, We need to keep away from worldly activities that aren't pleasing to God. Drinking and smoking and filthy movies and filthy conversation. And on it goes. We need to have some convictions not to be defiled by those things. We ought to have some convictions. Whatever area of our life, We need to be men and women of conviction tonight. Naboth had a conviction about not selling the inheritance of his fathers. And friend, it was a biblically based conviction. A conviction is something you believe so strong, it's worth dying for. Now, there's a difference between a conviction and a preference. My preference in the church that I pastor is that the ushers wear ties and jackets. I can't give you a book, chapter, and verse. That's just my preference as the preacher, that the ushers would take the offering on Sunday morning, that they're wearing jackets and ties. That's a preference that I have. But a conviction is something that is derived from the Word of God. For example, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, crucified, buried, risen, coming again. And if the government makes a law that we can't preach that anymore, we've got to preach it anyway. If they make a law that we can't meet and teach that anymore, then we'll have to do it anyway. And, and we need to be willing to die for that truth because it is the truth. That's what a conviction is. Naboth had a conviction that was worth dying for. 
convictions will help you stay on course. They will help you stay true to God, even if it means dying for what is true and what is good and what is right. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, Pastor Pullman, look at how Naboth ended up. And look at how Ahab and Jezebel ended up. Okay, let's do that. How did they both end up? Today, Naboth is in heaven with the Lord, enjoying his reward for his faithfulness. Ahab and Jezebel are burning in the fires of an everlasting hell, paying for their own sins and wickedness, being tormented. Now, which would you rather be? See, the devil hates it when Christians have convictions. Because he knows if they have convictions they're willing to die for, he cannot stop Christ's cause from going forward. He cannot stop the gospel from reaching the uttermost parts of the world. And he cannot have any defense against us if Christians will have Bible-based convictions. Another man of conviction in the Bible was the Apostle Paul. They said, Paul, you stop preaching Jesus Christ or we're going to beat you to an inch of your life. And Paul said that I may know the fellowship of his suffering. He said, Paul, you stop preaching or we'll throw you in prison. And he said, go ahead. I need to get caught up on my letter writing anyway. We're still reading those letters today, aren't we? He said, Paul, if you don't stop preaching about Jesus, we're going to kill you. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Satan hates it when Christians have convictions because there's not one thing he can do to stop them. Dear believer, may God help us to be a people of conviction. I'm going to ask you to stand together, heads bowed and eyes are